This is Talkin' Mule Deer with your hosts, Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. Talkin' Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, Mule Deer and Blacktail Deer Biology and Management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start talking Mule Deer. We are here at the 2019 Western Hunting and Conservation Expo. This is Jody Stemmler. And I'm Steve Belinda. And today we are talking to two actually three lovely women. Uh, hey, thanks. I was, I was thinking you were going to avoid me. But we have two of the ladies of the MDF board here. We have Kirsty Pike, who's been on the MDF board for about four years. And we've got our newest member of the MDF board, Kelly Poole. Ladies, now, welcome. I'm not going to say this to Miles or anyone or Art, but I think you guys are probably the new brain trust of the <laughs> MDF board. You know, the smarter half, as we like to say. So. We're going for world dominance. Yeah, there so we go. There we I mean, go. One board member at a time. <laughs> Pick them all. Total takeover. There we right. go. That works. Well, ladies, thank you so much for joining us here today. It has been um, a goal of mine through the MDF podcast to ensure that we, we talk about women in the outdoors. Um, and obviously, Kirsty, uh, with Proist, you have been a leader in that for a long time. Tell us a little bit about you and how, because this is not what, you're a nurse, right? You, uh, you yeah. didn't, yep. like, set out to be... A, a role model or a, a trendsetter within the outdoor industry, right? No, not at all. I, I basically couldn't even balance a checkbook before that. <laughs> <laughs> I well, I sure hope you can do that. <laughs> I learned. That's accounting. good. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I was a nurse and just about um, 11 years ago decided that there was a, a niche to be filled and we just kind of went for it. And the, the doors opened, probably against all odds. And the timing was just perfect, and, and it was really, really cool to see how the women's industry is really changing and evolving and, and moving over the last 11 years. Absolutely, and the niche you saw was the significant lack of women's apparel um, in, you know, that was performance-based apparel in the outdoor industry, and you created your line of products. And then this past year, you have completely created a brand new line, right? We did. We did. We actually, we got rid of, we cleared out everything we had previously. Um, we had the great fortune of getting a new sourcing partner. So we were able to start the entire assortment from top to bottom, side to side with our own camo pattern. And it's uh, been extremely well received. It's been really fun. Uh, it's kind of like getting a facelift yeah. or what I would imagine if I could ever get one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's, it's, you don't need really one, Kirsty. There's the chance. So. <laughs> no, but it's been a, our best year ever, and it's it's really been fun. It's, it's a phenomenal really line. Now, now, don't you miss the days of swimming in men's cut camo or unisex cut camo? You know, no. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, is we used to go to writers' conferences, and we would hold um, what we would call Mr. Proas events. So we would have the male writers come and put women's clothes on oh. and take pictures of them and explain on how how is this comfortable to you and then just flip it's that around sort so of like guys putting on skinny jeans it probably just shouldn't happen so well there's a lot <laughs> that probably shouldn't <laughs> i've got pictures of zumbo and pro <laughs> i do i do i'm i'm holding on to that for that's black pretty male, awesome. but i got zum and pro so yeah. cool oh. <laughs> now kelly being the new board member tell us a little bit about yourself yeah, um, so I have a background in biology. I went to Montana State University and have a degree in... Go Bobcats. Yeah, yep, good that's right. Bozeman. And I uh, have a degree in wildlife management. Um, and so with that degree, I've been able to work several field tech positions. I've worked for the state of Colorado and for the state of Montana, um, mostly in large ungulate uh, work with management of um, deer, elk. I've uh, done a lot of sh work with bighorn sheep. and. Through that, I've actually been exposed to 
go and help and work in Tajikistan, which does sound like a huge jump, and it was. <laughs> um, but I was out collaring a couple of U's um, for a project that MSU was performing with some grad students, and they said, hey, there's going to be a biologist there from Kyrgyzstan and from Tajikistan, and they're going to come along and see how you anesthetize and how you put collars on animals. And so it started this conversation about uh, the management of Ibex, the management of Marco Polo, and the management of Markor in Tajikistan. And uh, we started this conversation about women and women in science and women in management. And eight months later, I went to, for my first trip um, to the northern part of Tajikistan, and we started up a program with uh, what we call CBCs, and they're community-based conservancies. And so what we're trying to do is train local women to work as rangers, essentially guides, in Tajikistan and help them not only have employment opportunities, but to make a lot of money for their own communities. It's um, a very third world place. A lot of them don't have running water. They just got electricity. Um, some areas, they still die in childbirth. And so we're trying to help women not only have a foot in the guiding industry and the hunting industry, but also allow them to make money for their families and bring money into the communities. What an incredible program. That sounds it really, really neat. Yeah. Now, you and Kirsty um, knew each other before this because you were hunting in Tajikistan this year, right? Right, yeah. With Kelly. Is that yeah, correct? We, right. we met in the village. We did. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> yep. We spent a lot of days together out there. I so basically, I went out there with Diana Rupp from Sports Afield, and we were going out on a hunt, and Kelly was working working with the, the female rangers there, and that's how we got to know each other. And Kelly was with us on our hunt, and um, it was really a really great experience. So you had some of the female guys, some of the female mm -hmm. rangers that, oh, yeah. that you've been training? How yeah. cool is that? It was great. And it's interesting. Um, I think Kelly short sells herself on what she's done over there. It's, it's amazing in how she's working with these women. They're in a situation where it's not always uh, an acceptable role for women to be in this um, you know, kind of a ranger guide situation. And uh, working with these gals to teach them basically everything um, from learning how to work around firearms to skinning to, you know, kind of every nuance that's involved and, and some language barriers, of course. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it was really, it was really fun to watch. It was, a, it's the conservancy-based hunting is probably one of the neatest things I've ever been a part of. Um, I think it's life-changing and seeing people who actually come and volunteer and do the work there. It's it's really a neat program. Sounds amazing. Now, the women that engage in this, are they, you know, are they embracing it? Is this the, the this is, wow, this is empowering, this is a great opportunity? Is it, uh, is it something that's still a scary thing for them to get involved in? Or are they really welcoming the opportunity? Yeah, so we'll go in and we'll kind of go into different villages. There's seven conservancies that um, this company, uh, H&Cat, works out of. And so we'll get a room full of maybe 10 girls, that, then that's how it starts. But by the end, it maybe pairs down to two or three. Um, and like Kirsty was saying, it's not so much an acceptable role for a woman. And we usually get women between 19 and 22. And generally, their next step at that age is to get married, have kids, and kind of you know, continue the tradition, the traditional life over there. But um, Kirsty got to meet one of the most amazing girls I have that I'm training. Her name is Latifa, and her father is the, one of the lead rangers okay. in the village. And so having that background with her father, and she said she would go every summer and, and look at Ibex with him, and he would teach her. And you can see that, too. When we were up on the mountain, Ulubek is pointing, and, and she's responding, and she's very excited about it. So we do have some exceptional girls. Um, that seem to really want to invest in this career. 
And I will say that the culture, especially in Kyrgyzstan, um, is advancing a little bit more, and so it's not uncommon to see women, in their, even in their late 20s, unmarried. Okay. And so that, that culture is changing. Tajikistan, it's a little further behind, but I can see in the future that this will be a serious employment opportunity for women. That's awesome. Is hunting becoming more of a big business over there to, to fund the conservation? It has, yep. And so I, I was originally partnered with a company called Panthera, and they actually have more interest in snow leopard uh, conservation. Mm -hmm. um, but what they've also done is bought a ton, over hundreds of uh, trail cameras. And they're teaching these local villages how to set up trail cameras and how to work on the conservation side. And so through that, we're, we're encouraging conservation. And now that they know that these animals have value to them, I mean, they've grown up and they see these animals every day, but they're just animals on the hill. Now that they know that there are serious hunters that are gonna come over and spend quite a bit of money, they're, they're now feeling that conservation. They want to promote that conservation, and they're not poaching. They're setting up traps now to catch poachers. Um, a lot of the rangers that are working um, with these hunting conservancies were, are actually ex-poachers themselves. Hmm. So it makes them very skilled hunters. Yeah. But now they have some pride in these animals, and they want to protect them from people who continually try to poach them. So is it still tribal communities over there? And is, is there a language barrier or do they speak? Uh so in most of the, the Stan countries, um, you will, they speak Russian, um, being former Soviet. And, and Tajikistan has only been a country since, since 1992. Um, they do speak um, several different dialects of Tajik. And so the people from the south part of the country actually cannot even communicate in Tajik with the people in the north. It, the dialect is so different. Hmm. So Russian is kind of that overall <laughs> wow. language that if you speak Russian, then you can communicate in Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. For, for those of us that grew up in the 80s, um, I thinking the spies like us, you know, yeah, the out there language yeah. thing, yeah. trying to talk to. A lot of Jeff. pointing. Yeah. A lot of pointing. <laughs> nodding. Yeah. Yeah. So we were talking earlier. This is, um, you get a degree in wildlife. Steve and I both have ours as well. Um, and you, you obviously do as well. And, and there's a lot of people that think it's a fairly direct trip. And there, there's a lot of opportunities in the traditional mm -hmm. state fish and wildlife agency or federal fish and uh, federal agency. But there's a lot of other options. The work that I'm doing and the communications is one. And this is an entirely different opportunity for, for people that are interested in, in having a foundation in the science and applying it into real world, how do you make a difference? Yeah, yeah and absolutely. It, and that's, you know, we're taught the North American model. Um, we've, we've covered a lot of that in previous podcasts and we'll continue to cover it. And what a lot of folks don't understand is, is that doesn't apply in places like you're going in Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan and that. And so there's really a... Uh, a learning curve for you to understand how they view wildlife and conservation, but then also how you need to apply the skills to them. And it's, you know, we went through the same thing in Africa, um, you know, a couple of decades ago where there was, you know, the, the over-exploitation or, or the, uh, I won't say illegal because they were just, they were killing things for meat. They didn't have value, putting value on it, letting hunters take the role, letting conservation be funded by the selective harvest of animals but uh, you know the cultural stuff that you're bringing down there is extremely important and it's not like like Jody said it's a non-traditional approach to someone with a wildlife degree but there are I mean <clears throat> life is what you make of it and you know as uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm entering into almost my fourth decade in doing wildlife biology and conservation. And yeah, he's old. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> oh, did it, I just to, say that? And to quote oh. Jerry Garcia, it's a, what a long, strange trip it's been <laughs> to get to where I'm at now that I get to sit and be, you know, the butt of Jody's jokes, <laughs> uh, you know, looking back at the things we did. But I wouldn't. There are things I thought I would do. I mean, what you do sounds really cool. I always thought I was going to be wrestling grizzly bears and doing mm-hmm. all that other stuff, which is what we all get into it for. Yeah. But then we all find our niche, and I'm glad you found yours early because you're going to have, you know, that three to four decades worth of teaching, learning, uh, and experience that the the folks you're working with are going to benefit from, and, and you're going to get more back from it than you'll ever realize. So. Yeah. So Mule Deer Foundation Board. You guys are the ladies of the board. Tell the us ladies. a little bit about, um, but you knew being a new member, Kelly, yep. and, and, and Kirsty, some of the stuff that you've been doing. What are your priorities, some of the things that you'd like to work on, and, and, and the perspective that you're hoping to bring to the Mule Deer Foundation? I think, um, I think always bringing in the, the female perspective in the hunting industry is really important. Um, no matter what avenue you're going down, uh, women respond differently, talk differently. Building membership is a whole different thing with women. Getting women into hunting is entirely different than it is with men. So it's almost a different language in ways. And I think that's always been my my driving force. Um, what I hope to achieve on the board is just bring that perspective in, um, hopefully have some insight on, on building the women's membership, building more programs. I think that's where my heart is in mm-hmm. it. It's, you know, again, being on the board is an oversight situation. So it's, it's not always boots on the ground. But um, maybe being able to bring some of that in, it's... It's definitely the biggest growing demographic in a shrinking hunting community. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that we have every avenue we can to talk to them and, and be as relevant as we can to women, younger generations, kids. Um, I think there's a lot we can do with, with building the membership and, and paving some new roads and some new insights. Absolutely. I imagine at times you're the voice of reason, both of you, <laughs> in a male-dominated uh, boardroom, um, you know, having been part of a lot of groups and, and being an old white guy myself, you know, sometimes we get a little hard headed in our thinking and it probably is quite refreshing to have a different perspective brought in. You know, when we look at, um, as you were mentioning, Christy, you know, how people think about hunting and conservation and what we need to do to get them interested. Yeah. There's a huge movement right now called the R3 initiative, recruitment, retention and reactivation and what we're seeing is, is those things that brought us into it may not be the things that bring diversity, new people, or the millennial generation into it. And we have to embrace that. We do. And Kelly and I were talking about that exact thing this morning and just how um, you, you really have to take that. There's just not one blanket approach for everybody. And, and I think we just need to pay more attention to that if we want to stay relevant. And let's face it, relevance is what's going to keep people interested, yeah. engaged, and in being members. Right. I, I think people don't necessarily anymore want to just pay their annual dues and get a magazine. They want something more. They want experiences like yeah. we were talking yeah. about. And, you know, I hate to say it's millennial, but that's that's what you were saying. Like, mm-hmm. that they, want to, they want to view experiences, <laughs> yep. have experiences. And women in particular are different. They want a non-threatening, educational hands-on situation where they can feel comfortable and it's it's a whole different mindset and that we have to adjust to being able to talk to all of them you know and keeping people engaged and being relevant and up to date i see it and correct me if i'm wrong it's less competitive there's less of a competitive machoism out there when women and, and kids are getting into hunting than 
say the guy's world and you know I, i've seen that in fishing too is it's more about the experience um if a butterfly lands on your leg you're as interested in that as the buck that just walked by right, right. you know and I, where i see the differences is when the animal's down though that i do see a little of that well chivalry isn't dead from my daughter and, and women that i hunt with saying well you really need to carry that big thing back <laughs> which i don't mind doing but uh you know we're suckers for that stuff well, of too, course so. of course t- every step at a time right every yeah. step at a time and i found you know with pros we t- try to do about two women's only hunts every year we've done a few more but two t- tends to be a good amount and it is the funnest situation ever. You just get all these different women. Some of us have known each other. We, I love to get newbies in uh, that have never been around this group. And it's they become the best of friends. Yeah. And it's such a fun situation. For example, um, we just went to uh, South Dakota and they did a pheasant hunt. And the guys were just laughing. It didn't matter what field. <laughs> it, a bird goes up, there's a volley of shots, and then all, everybody's screaming. Oh! there's none of this that was my bird no just it didn't matter it was all in the kitty and everybody was just happy they got a shot off whether you hit it or not and it's it's such a different vibe and it's not the right vibe it's just different it's just different Mm -hmm. absolutely every women's only hunt i've done and and i i was just on a women's goose hunt Mm -hmm. uh, two weeks ago and it was the same type of a feeling and the guides are like you guys are so much fun, so much more fun to have in the blind. <laughs> right, <laughs> right? The, you know, because you, you're having fun. We, we, we were successful. We you're weren't competitive. competitive. Mm. We're having fun. <laughs> we, were, we're, we were just as raunchy in the blind. <laughs> there, there is. It is pretty uh, funny. I, I, would, I would probably take exception to that. I've been in, uh, I doubt there's well, the level of raunchiness that can happen in a blind. I feel, I feel like so. you just set the gun. I know, right? <laughs> you just raised the bar. We'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to do a podcast from... No. Two different blinds, you know, a guy blind and then a gal's blind, and see which. You know, yeah, I that think is. that probably would get us thrown off the air. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what do you guys see as the biggest impediment to getting more women into conservation and to hunting? Well, we kind of talked about too, um, just kind of creating a safe environment. Um, women can get a little more intimidated, I think, um, by. Even walking around, say the expo, and it is—it's a lot of men. It's still more of a male-dominated area, and so, um, especially for those people who haven't grown up hunting, say you go to college. That happens a lot in Bozeman. It's a wonderful place to hunt, and everybody's hunting. I'm—I'm I'm a poor college kid. I'm hungry. That deer looks like it could cook a lot of steaks, right? And so, <laughs> people want to get into it, and they—they're not sure where to start. And for women, I think to approach what seems to be a male-dominated club. It's, it's a little intimidating. So I think creating like a safe space for women to you know, feel like there's another ap- approachable woman in the field or there's another woman who hunts. And we do tend to be a little bit less competitive, mm-hmm. I think. You know, we want to have a great experience and we're, we like to hike and hunt. And if your buck's bigger than mine, I'm just going to give you a high five. You know, exactly. that's awesome. And so I think just, yeah, creating an environment where women feel like they can ask questions and not feel like it's a dumb question. I think it's also important that they can fail and not feel judged. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's everyone's biggest fear, uh, yeah. the missed shot. And God forbid you wound an animal and lose an animal. It happens to every hunter sometime. Yeah. But that devastating feeling and mm-hmm. having people be able to talk you through that. And, yeah, it's terrible, but yeah. it, it does happen. Well, and the yeah. emotions of it. Uh, you oh, know, I mean, yeah. because every hunt is different. And the emotions, mm-hmm. and, and particularly with new hunters, they, they may not fully know how to handle the emotions they're going through after the taking a life of an animal that they've right. never done before. Right. Yep. Yeah, for me, it was, uh, you know, I took my wife on a bison hunt. It was our first hunt together, and 
Uh, long story short, it was very emotional for her. We had 300 snorting bison at 30 yards after she shot hers. And, you know, uh, for those of you who know me, I probably reacted a little bit more <laughs> forcefully than I needed to <laughs> and, and scared my wife because, you know, we were in a semi-dangerous situation. Plus, I was looking out after the welfare of an animal that wasn't quite uh, dead yet. But um, thinking back on it and post that, uh, you know, so my wife, I said, you want to go hunt with your friends? And she did a women's antelope hunt for years with her friends and just had a blast. And when I came back, I just said, okay, where's the animal? You know, let's clean the gun, get the animal up, and I'll take care of the processing. And uh, she loved it. And, you know, teaching my daughter to hunt, it's, I find myself biting my tongue and lip and trying to stay calm and and reassuring <laughs> for her sake versus the way yeah. I was taught for for what it's worth uh I have watched um a number of of dads with daughters and it's fantastic and supportive husband to wife <laughs> not so much <laughs> it is it is a lot harder and and I think some of that is there's um Particularly if you're a relatively accomplished woman, which all of us are, you know, right? And, and whatever capacity you are, if you're the best mom in the world, whatever it is, there's a recognition from the husband that you're, you've got your stuff together. You're going you're gonna to be fine and everything, or you know what you're going to be doing. Well, it's not. It's new. And so, so these opportunities to do an experience, perhaps not with your, um, your significant other, sometimes is a great way to help bridge those gaps. Now, I absolutely love going out hunting with my husband for sure. But as I continue to progress through, you know, it's nice to have those side things where I can be a little bit more of a newbie and not feel as guilty about that. Um, you know, where, whereas a husband is going to be like, come on, let's go, let's go. You know, we're, we're, and they'll be tougher on the wife than they are on the, on the daughter, mm-hmm. um, for sure. Oh, yeah. for sure. So numerous states in the last few years have legalized fluorescent pink <laughs> yep, Colorado is one of yeah. them. Um, yep. How do you all feel about that? I mean, I, I still hear, of course, in the macho world, oh, we shouldn't be feminizing this. It's orange. But it really is about safety. And so, you know, there are states that have had the fluorescent chartreuse has been legal. People just don't wear it because they think you're a road worker after that. <laughs> right. How's the pink stuff going over? How do you guys feel about that? I, you know, from the business perspective, it's never been a model we use for pros. Um, everything we do is technical and performance for me personally and for the business personally I feel like you can pretty much tell that that's a woman just by looking at her you don't need to adorn her in pink and purple and turquoise so I to me it cheapens the brand but at the same time it's a it's it's a marketable industry so there's companies that do it and are successful and I applaud that it's just never going to be in our wheelhouse Um, if I, I think the thing that made me laugh about this initiative was that when we got called on it a couple times and don't you think this is going to bring more women into hunting? I thought by changing this from orange to pink is not going to make a woman decide I, I wasn't going to be a hunter <laughs> because it was orange. I am because it's that pink. orange just does not that match my nails. Just not my thing. Oh but my pink, gosh. The pink, oh it works. I'm in all the way. So I think that the, it, the argument behind it was ridiculous. If people like it, that's cool. It's yeah. just not. Yeah, it's it, not, exactly. If, if somebody wants to hunt with sure. fluorescent pink, if it's as safe as. Yep. Yeah. Great, but I think you're probably right. That is that actually going to bring more people? Perhaps it it, it says it, it is more welcoming sign to women who who aren't. Perhaps, but yeah, maybe. Well, but it's or also stereotyping. Yeah. Or young girls. That yeah. well, women, that's exactly. You know, I, that's that's what when when I started seeing the pink camouflage come out. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, I think it had 
that was cool. But then when the pink, and I'll probably get in trouble here, but, you know, the pink firearms and the pink stocks, I just, I, I immediately reacted poorly to that because I'm saying, you it's know. It's a little demeaning. Exactly. It's, like it's, it's a, a mm -hmm. stereotype that all of a sudden, because it's a certain color, a woman's going to want or be attracted to that. And A, you don't want to ever uh, trivialize a firearm because they are weapons. They are a tool that needs to be used in a proper way. But, you know, how naive do we think people are or shallow that, that, that that's going to change a mind? I don't know. I, just I don't know either. And I, I, pros came about right about that time when they started to shrink and pink everything. I mean, it just, we hit right at that time where everything was, oh, we can just make this and make it smaller and put pink on it, but not taking into account that, it, let's just use a bow or a firearm, for mm -hmm. example. You just can't just downsize it. Everything changes. We're physiologically right. different. We're built yeah. differently. And to me, that was just ridiculous. I, I thought, you know, oh, because it's pink and it's got sparkly stuff on it. Now it's amazing. But it, you didn't even make it for a woman. You just painted it for a woman. And yeah. I'm glad you sold it. That's great. But I think they've, in in those days, I think we've come a lot further. We've come a yeah. long way yeah. in yeah. the we've industry. We've come a long way in the industry. But in those days, I was really frustrated by it. I would go to buy something and it was ridiculous. It was cheapened. It was, yeah. I felt that personally, but at the same time, they sold like crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, right. Well, yeah. opinion of one, you know, a woman in orange or camo is still hot, you know. <laughs> oh, for <laughs> God's I, sake. I, I tell Seriously? my wife to wear that stuff all the time. Dude. <laughs> hey, but you've seen my it fashion <laughs> sense. So, well, that's know. true. <laughs> but do you wear plaid and camo together? I do. Oh, of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> I've been oh. doing that for 45 years, you know. Oh, that hurts my soul. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? He is not a fashion plate. We'll yeah. go there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> function. Functional Poor fashion, Steve. So. Three against one. This is maybe not well, fair. Well, I mean, so I grew up with five brothers. I had four older brothers. When it got to me, you know, you you were wearing hand-me-downs. We grew up in the 70s and 80s, so, you know, flannel shirts and boots were in fashion. You wore jeans everywhere you went. Mm -hmm. um, if you got a hole in Rocking your jeans. Your 501s. Wranglers. Uh, yeah, you know, you put the big <laughs> patch. Well, you started with tough skins. Oh, yeah. Oh, I had uh, tough skins. And, you know, <laughs> when you wore the knees out, your grandmother put those big patches on. My daughter the other day walks downstairs with a bunch of holy jeans, and I'm just like, it's time to start ironing <laughs> on patches. And those uh, iron on patches when you would sweat, you'd oh, stick yeah, to them, remember? Yeah, and they were rough, and they would scrape. But um, Those were the days. Yeah, okay. but, but, you know, my point is, is, we need to accommodate, you know, what you do, Christy, at, at Proyas is, is great because I, my daughter, when we went to get a new hunting jacket last year, just happened to have Proyas there. It fit her so much better oh, and um, was able to get that. She was much happier. I think that all, you know, we have to recognize these differences. We do it now, even in the firearm industry, there are, you know, guns being made for women for the different builds. Fantastic Not, guns. You know, and yep. some of them, I mean, I'll tell you what, I've shot a few. They're sweet guns, yeah. and, and I think that that shows a My lot about Camilla is amazing. You know, <laughs> that shows a lot about the outdoor industry that that the women and the youth are a big part of the current foundation of this heritage and the future. And and you know, I think that's great so because Becky Humphreys with the National Wild Turkey Federation, and I, it, I interviewed her for an article, and her her phrase that she has used, and I don't know if she she claims it as hers or if she heard it from somewhere else, but if mom hunts, the whole family hunts, yeah. True. Yeah. and we absolutely see that for our own personal situation. When you know, because I was going out, I started to get it back into hunting 
and our daughter came along with us. We go as a family, and mm-hmm. and it's it's absolutely true. If there's an opportunity, it becomes a big family affair that yeah. way. Um, if dad goes hunting, dad's probably going to go hunting with the guys most of the time. Not sure. not a you know, and we, we he's got his guy time, and we've got our family time. But when when we go together, it, because mom hunts, the whole family hunts, mm-hmm. and I yeah. think that's a that's a great way to continue to bring in the future generations of people who appreciate the outdoors and conservation and we need that yeah absolutely i agree we need yep. that when i think it also brings in i, I see women um all, all all ages of women but as a mom too my kids are older but um being able to once i got into hunting i didn't start until i was in my 20s and i had no interest and then as i got into it i got crazy and just every animal i got i started wanting every piece of it and finding things to do and i wanted to process it myself and have my hands in it and it drives my husband nuts. Oh, yeah, I, I <laughs> he, just, he just walks away now. He's like, skull whatever you want. I don't, I'm not touching it. I'm not helping I you. I love your posts on Facebook with the boiling skulls. Oh, and the, and the maggot suit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's, that's been fun too. Yeah. And, and really getting into it. And I think women really, really dig that. They yeah. like, there's nothing better than putting meat in the freezer that you did yourself. Oh, absolutely. And, 100%. It's, I think women are just, they're funny about it. I yeah. Mean, you see more women posting freezer pictures than <laughs> yeah, it's for like sure. porn. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Food porn. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm very much the same. I actually um, worked as a butcher when I was in college. Oh, cool. Um, and so that's actually my, one of my favorite parts. And then being a biologist, I love you know anatomy and physiology. Oh, and yeah. So the animals down, and I'm like, I just can't wait to get into this thing. And I'm cutting it up and do all my own processing. And yep. it's cool. It's it really is the whole field to table you know scenario. Mm-hmm. And if you can teach how to skin and skin out your animal and um, and butcher your own meat. It, I mean, that's where you take a lot of your pride. Absolutely. It is. When it is. I shot my first antelope this year I at the Wyoming Women's Antelope Hunt, I um, was able to quarter it and then, and then break it down, and we processed the entire thing. We always process our own meat, and I always help my husband. But this was animal to... There and and boy, those that meat tastes that much better this oh, year. And it's better. so much fun when we uh, say our prayer at night for the, over the meal, and it's thank you for the opportunity for my antelope. Yeah, I mean, that's it's right. just, that's that's the way it is. So well, keep doing what you guys are doing. I think it's it's good for society. It's good for the heritage, and it's good for your own well-being. Absolutely. And, and, re- and uh, we really love to see it. A lot of guys uh, wouldn't be able to say that, but I like to see more women afield and. Um, just don't go where I go. There's already enough people. In there. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Kirsty, tell us what you've got coming down the line for your products this year. Because I've I've seen a few on. You've posted these little teasers. I know. <laughs> I, I was thinking of you when I put that one out. <laughs> and so, of course, I commented oh, on it. Oh <laughs> mercy! I'm so excited. Yes. Actually, this is probably last year was super exciting because we got to do an entire new assortment yep. and pulling things in I've wanted to do for so long. Um, and it's amazing. Those that product line is absolutely it's beautiful. It's really yep. come a long way, yep. and it's um, you know it's a big I'm change. A huge it was a big change. Yeah. yeah, it changed a lot of things, and um, it was well received, and we did great with it. But we're going to add in what I'm most excited about is a new pair of Upland brush pants. Um, we've had brush pants in the past; they were always huge sellers, but they weren't quite hitting the mark that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to have um, just very performance, lightweight stretchable fabric really cool facing which is awesome because in colorado we do a lot of grouse hunting um which is september it's early Mm -hmm. and it's been really flipping hot and all the brush pants that i have are really heavyweight yeah we opted to go for a light one and you can put something underneath it i think you're really that the cut and everything is really great it's accommodating it's cool um, we have a new brush shirt, which is a lot like our old one, but a really a lot better fabric. It's UV protectant. It's 
it's amazing, but I've been working really hard on getting an Upland Strat vest. Yay! It's been the bane <laughs> of my existence. I have bought every Upland Strat vest there is known to mankind, and it's been my frustration. I can't find one. Not one that yep. fits a woman yep. um, around absolutely. the hips, around the, the shoulders, waist. around I the breasts. Yep. I mean, sure. it just doesn't fit. Yep. But I can't find one I can get a bird into without right. taking my, my vest off. Yep. So I've been working on it and working on it. And it became the joke with the production team. They said, <laughs> you got to send it to me. And if I can put my cat in it, <laughs> then we got it. So I yep. kept sending them pictures like, cat's not going in. <laughs> and finally, we got one. I got the cat in the pack. So I got this picture of my big, fat, fluffy cat in there. And uh, we got the last proto, and it's it's almost there. It just needs a little bit of a cut drop. And That's awesome. We're in. I think we will have it by August. So. That's right. So oh. yeah, I'm excited about so that. so fun. I've been using it. I love mm. it. Every time I'm like, bird There the comes back. that target bird in the hunt. Back. Look at me. Bird in the back. <laughs> cat. <laughs> Don't put them in at the same time. No. <laughs> but it's, I'm excited. Cat. So I knew you would be excited yeah, about Yeah, I am this. very excited yes. about that. Very cool. I, I put a lot into that pack, so it's... Yay. It's, you know, finding those things that you want to make yourself, there's always a need for a lot of things. And we've got some other great products, but I knew that that's what you were going to be excited about. Yeah. But that one, I'm Very cool. About. Kelly, what have you got going on the rest of the year? Are you going back to Tajikistan after this? Yep, I will be. Um, last time I was over middle of September through the middle of October, um, but we're going to see what we have lined up for hunts. Actually, when Kirsty came over, it was the first time I was actually able to take trainees on a hunt. Oh, cool. Which was the best learning experience because, like Kirsty said, we don't have necessarily the tools. Usually there's one, maybe shotgun in the entire village, and so that's what I have to work with. But I'm trying to teach them about high-power rifles mm -hmm. and optics. Um, and so I would like to continue the program with um, people who come over who are willing to allow for you know trainees to come on the hunt as well whether they're just helping at spike camp or, or whatever and so as soon as i see what hunts we've booked for the year i get to kind of start planning and selecting nice. girls to accompany so very cool sometime during the hunting season excellent cool yeah. well here's another thing i want to plug with what kelly's doing with the uh, um, conservancies is that if, if there's any corporate people out there listening to this there is a big need for good gear for these people these men are, and women are literally in old shoes and old backpacks that one had wood on it, I, I yeah. swear. And no frames. No frames. No. And no. what they physically do um, is amazing. And, you know, we're, we're committed to help out with ProUS. But um, I think if there's a way to find people who want to help out, it's such a cool program. I can't say enough about it. It's the money goes to the villages. The villagers are all hands-on. And literally, as a hunter, we stayed in a house. I mean, we, I didn't know what a guest house was, but it's basically we took their house over, and they lived in a <laughs> small room. And it's everybody's working for the common good. Every bit of that meat gets consumed. Yep. I mean, every last bit of it. Wow. And they're just so welcoming and sweet. And they played music for us and had a dance. It was really yeah, I tried to drag you out there. I wasn't you, doing no, it. Yeah. So if they, if people wanted to get more information about the program, either that you're involved in or another area to find information, where would they go? Um, so we are under H and Cat. It's Hunting and Alliance of Tajikistan, and we have a website. Okay. Um, so that will bring you to our website that talks a lot about our conservancies and kind of this um, program that we're starting to start up, and they can find information on hunts and, and that sort of thing on there as well. What's the web address? Uh, it's just hncat.com. Okay, yep. excellent. Yep. And Proas? Proas. Proas, what's your website? Oh, um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Proas. Uh, um, yes, that's my company. <laughs> I don't know how to pitch it. I have this opportunity. <laughs> well, lame dog. Uh, 
Prohosthunting.com. Oh, very good. Thank you. <laughs> All right, ladies. Thank you very much. It was it was a pleasure to have you on the show today. I'm glad we have women with your type of voice sitting on the Mule Deer Foundation board. Um, the leadership you're bringing to the industry, to conservation, is fantastic. So thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having yeah. us. Thank yeah, thanks for uh, giving that uh, steady hand to that Mule Deer Foundation board. And, and They're a great group of guys. It is a good group of guys. I have to say, yep. it's... Um, Kelly's just getting into it, but they're they're a fun. They're well, there's really a lot good going group. on right now, and yeah. I think that uh, you know the growth of the organization is reflected by the people that are attracted to the board. So. Yep. So thank you again for your time. Thanks for talking mule deer with us. Until the next time, this is Jody Stemler. And I'm Steve Blinn, and I'm going to have to go out and uh, find some male friends to hang out. With <laughs> while, <so>. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for talking mule deer. Thanks for talking mule deer with Steve Belinda and Jody Stemler. The Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org and stay tuned for the next episode of Talkin' Mule Deer.